to the Empowering Social Enterprise Research Podcast, part of the Empower SE Cost Action. My name is Andrea Barbosa. This is the first of three episodes about social enterprise from a research perspective. Social enterprise is an incredibly diverse phenomenon and scholars from all over Europe and beyond are busy studying their local realities and connecting them to the ongoing scientific conversation. A fundamental aspect of Empower SE is that the contributions of scholars from Central and Eastern European and peripheral countries are at the core of the project. We will come to that later on. In this episode, we start by asking the obvious question, what is social enterprise? Conceptualization is the job of scholars, after all, so it should be easy to get one or even several answers to such a straightforward question. It turns out it isn't. One of the most seasoned and reasoned social enterprise scholars around, Belgian Jacques de Fourny, will tell you that social enterprise is to be approached rather than defined. We are in the land of nuance. Just accept it and I guarantee you won't be disappointed. So let's start with a story. Here's Julia Arai, senior lecturer at the Graduate School of Management of St. Petersburg University, Russian Federation. I would like to share with you the story of a project which was initiated by a couple, Anna uh, and her husband. One of their kids has a, a cerebral palsy. Uh, the couple initiated a project which is called Special Bicycle. This is a special bicycle which helps kids to move more easily. Yes, or a very important thing about this bicycle that it can be transformed depending on the age of the kids. Or the family can buy such bicycle when a kid is uh, three years old, and then uh, with a special devices it can be transformed up to let's say 30 years old. It's a very special bicycle which really helps such kids uh, to move, to go outside, to walk around with their family. Now the project uh, is well known in, in different cities. They operate not only in the city where they live, but also they sell the bicycles uh, around the, our country. The special bike creator in Russia is an example of social enterprise. Let me describe one from my home country, Portugal. Just a Change is the name of an organization that focuses on improving the housing conditions of poor families. They involve volunteers and the beneficiaries themselves in simple construction work that delivers better living standards, while relying on a wide range of supporters, such as manufacturers that donate construction materials. Another example, an historical one. The Emmaus community was born in France in 1949 to tackle poverty and homelessness. The recovery of discarded objects is the main value-generating activity supporting the whole operation. And yet another example that we shall explore later in this episode. In Hungary, where Roma are the largest minority, the Real Pearl Foundation addresses integration through art, education and other related long-term strategies. Despite their differences, these organizations can all be regarded as social enterprises, even if such a thing isn't even legally acknowledged in the country where it is being implemented. 
The MS Network, which is now coordinating the Empower SE project and has pioneered social enterprise research, has long chosen to let local realities and scholars work freely with an open concept. Economist Jacques de Fourny is a professor at the University of Liège and the founder of the MS Network. Instead of imposing a common understanding of social enterprise, uh, as coordinators, we said to the local researcher, just try to identify what you think could be called name social enterprise. Because of the local embeddedness of these realities, it was assumed that local researcher would be best place to identify what could really be accepted at the country level or the local level regarding conception of social enterprise. From continuous work on the field and the contributions of many scholars, a theoretical framework on social enterprise has emerged. A framework is larger and more useful than a simple definition. The originality of the MS approach was to propose indicators of three different categories and saying that social enterprise may be approached, not just purely defined, maybe should be approached uh, with three type of glasses. First, a set of three indicators showing that it's an economic undertaking, a continuous provision or production of goods and services, a social mission, uh, which might be uh, meeting local needs or broader challenge like uh, environmental protection. And third, a third set of indicators saying social enterprise most often have a specific governance, which is uh, mostly of uh, participatory type to balance and to combine at any time uh, the requirement of the economic and the social dimension. Uh, the indicators may be useful, some are only uh, partly met, and it's not a reason to expel a social enterprise uh, from what we call the galaxy of social enterprise with various type of categories, constellation in the, in the sky. So the galaxy of social enterprise can be theorized as a three-dimensional space, the dimensions being one, economic activity, two, social goal, and three, deliberate governance. There is movement in this galaxy as organizations move along the three axes. What does this mean? It means that we can observe institutional trajectories. We can identify processes in which social enterprise is born or reinforced within existing organizations. In Europe, we basically acknowledge three sectors, the public sector, the private for-profit sector, and the social economy, which includes all non-profit organizations and also cooperatives. This idea of institutional trajectories addresses the question of how social enterprise arises from existing organizations. Two typical trajectories have been identified. First, a non-profit becoming more business-like. Second, a cooperative expanding beyond mutual interest and becoming a social cooperative. Here's Jacques de Fourny again. What is really new with the social enterprise is that 
these non-profit organizations become more entrepreneurial, which may mean going partly to the market, but also to taking more risk or also to become more professional, adopting some internal management policy because there is uh, in this behavior uh, some new avenues which are explored in terms of uh, uh, resources, in terms of uh, way of management, in terms of uh, uh, market niche and so on. But what is also quite typical uh, is the world of cooperatives. Cooperatives, by essence, are mutual interest organization. First, they are non-capitalist, but uh, they deal with the interest of the members, people, stakeholders, which become members, and the organization, the cooperative, has to uh, look for uh, satisfaction of the interest of the members. And uh, what is quite recent uh, is that in many countries, social enterprise finds a good space, an appropriate space in relation to the cooperative world. Because cooperatives have a long tradition of operation on the market, and so that's market-oriented uh, organization, but not in a capitalist uh, behavior. The more amazing uh, example is probably coming from Italy. In the 90s, uh, a lot of social cooperatives, a new family of cooperatives, was created by law because uh, the people who got together, the cooperators, were not seeking first their own interest, but the primary goal was to uh, offer professional inclusion, integration to disadvantaged persons, which were coming from outside, and, and so the social cooperatives proved to be a new family, a new type of cooperatives. If social cooperatives have been a reality in Italy for over 20 years, the very concept of cooperative is currently under debate and reappropriation in ex-socialist countries. Here we step into the core of this episode and, dare I say, of the Empower SE project as a whole. Central and Eastern Europe have been absent from the social enterprise debate, which has been steered by the United States, first of all, but also Western Europe and Latin America. Melinda Mihaly is a researcher at the Center for Economic and Regional Studies of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. As she is about to show, from a Central European perspective, social enterprise is quite a different world from the reality of compulsory cooperative membership to the concept of solidarity, the socialist regime ending in 1989 shaped the culture of welfare. The concept of solidarity was uh, uh, a little bit colonized uh, by the state, uh, so there was no really a platform uh, for autonomous civilian action in uh, state socialism. And um, we can also kind of think about uh, cooperatives. Uh, cooperative has a different meaning in Western Europe and in Eastern Europe. And uh, this uh, different uh, meaning uh, can be uh, rooted uh, 
in state socialism, where the patriarchal state uh, uh, made it compulsory for people to get uh, members of agricultural cooperatives, uh, which were uh, not independent from the state, and uh, they were also not set up from the bottom. So this uh, this definition of cooperative in uh, state uh, socialism goes against uh, uh, the definition of uh, cooperative um, in Western Europe where it uh, is more seen a bottom-up uh, initiative of uh, civilians coming together to solve an issue or uh, satisfy their needs. If we look further east to Russia, we have yet another story. EU funding doesn't concern Russia, and the country has of course a history of social provision being solely the affair of the state and of a quick entry into the global market economy. As Yulia Arai explains, like in other parts of the world, social enterprise is trending in Russia, and it appears that licensing rules imposed by the state have resulted in a flow of corporate capital into social enterprise. Social entrepreneurship is a rather new phenomenon in Russia, yes? Or if we uh, evaluate the level of social entrepreneurial activity uh, in Russia, it's a, it's a rather still low uh, until even tw- uh, 2008, 2009. The very term social entrepreneurship was not familiar in Russian society at all. Apart from the East Central Europe, where international aid, for example, became the main source of support for social enterprises, in Russia, the emergence of social entrepreneurship was not initiated or supported by uh, by foreign foundations and uh, governments. Uh, at this time, we can say that there is a huge demand for social entrepreneurship in our society. Uh, first of all, uh, the drivers of the development of social entrepreneurship in Russia are uh, large corporations and uh, also the government. Uh, the government stimulated the development of corporate social responsibility from uh, large corporations, especially in research industry like oil, gas or um, steel. Uh, you know, uh, the, the license for operation in, in uh, cities where the, the companies operated. And uh, gradually, uh, when uh, in our country, uh, the social entrepreneurship as a phenomena uh, started to, to be developed, uh, large corporations uh, since the beginning, let's say, of 2010, started to reorient their givings into innovation solutions through the support of social entrepreneurship. The special bicycle introduced by Yulia at the beginning of this episode is a perfect example of this kind of dynamics. The couple of entrepreneurs participated in an entrepreneurial training offered by Rusal, one of the world's leading aluminium manufacturers, and got some startup capital. In one year, their bicycle production increased tenfold. The danger of instrumentalization is often raised in relations such as this one, in which a corporate giant may want to tell a compelling story in order to improve its public image. But Yulia Arai 
sees first and foremost a win-win situation. This trend is very positive for both sides. I mean, for large corporations and for social entrepreneurs, means that uh, large corporations uh, support social entrepreneurs through uh, uh, through the mechanisms, through the instruments which give them uh, from one side the support, but from another side the rather freedom. Uh, for example, uh, they train them or they take them into the uh, incubation program, yeah, or they give them the mentoring support or they even give them the grants. The corporations rather stimulate the emergence of such companies and they help them at the uh, initial stages of their development. Access to resources is a key issue for social enterprises. As we've seen, social entrepreneurship is growing in Russia due to the willingness of corporations to provide capital and incubation. It is expanding in Eastern Europe in connection to the availability of European funding. One of the features of social enterprises is their ability to combine a resource mix that lowers dependency and fosters resilience. As all organizations, they are conditioned by the context in which they operate, and it is in unfavorable contexts that one best sees both the frailty and the inventiveness of social enterprises. Hungary is a good case study. The authoritarian Fidesz government manages the distribution of European Union funds and, according to different accounts, civilian-based social enterprises that are not aligned with Fidesz ideology are being excluded. Here is Melinda Mihali. I would uh, like to raise the importance uh, of uh, the funding which is available uh, for social enterprises. Uh, and uh, in this case, the sectoral affiliation matters. So uh, in Hungary, municipality-based uh, social enterprises uh, get an increasing access to uh, national and uh, European-based uh, funding. So both of these uh, fundings are channeled uh, through uh, the Hungarian uh, government. This is also through for the faith-based uh, uh, social enterprises that they also get an increasing access to national and EU-based funding. Uh, while civilian-based social enterprises have a decreasing access to national and EU-based funding. Uh, and here, funding from international non-governmental uh, organizations uh, has an increasing importance. But in this context, we also have to say that uh, the state uh, aims to control or get an increasing control over the funding sources available for social enterprises. And here we can uh, mention the, the case of the Norway civilian grants, where uh, the Hungarian uh, government took a diplomacy conflict uh, with uh, Norway over the funding of the Norway civilian grants. And uh, the other um, point that should be emphasized is that uh, those funding sources uh, that the government uh, could not take control over are uh, stigmatized. And here I would like to uh, mention uh, the law accepted in, in 2017, um, where uh, civilian uh, organizations, associations and uh, foundations receiving more than 2,000 euro annually uh, in international funding uh, have to register as uh, foreign funded organizations and uh, make it also uh, visible on their websites. So in this way, um, those uh, social enterprises get stigmatized if they uh, uh, accept funding from international uh, donors. 
Migration and minorities are under ideological dispute. The far-right Fidesz government passed a law package called Stop Soros that criminalizes the broad act of promoting illegal migration. Nonprofits may be fined for supporting migrants. The Roma minority, representing 3-10% to 10 of the Hungarian population, is another problematic issue. Earlier I have mentioned the Real Pearl Foundation, whose founder, Nora Ritok, I have had the pleasure to meet. Having started 20 years ago with art education for Roma and other very poor children, the Real Pearl Foundation now targets whole Roma communities in a holistic way, testing innovative approaches to autonomy, employment, mobility, mediation and more. Alongside her collaborator, Shusha Mayor, who helped with translation, Nora Ritok spoke about the biased distribution of EU funds by the Hungarian government and of the stigma befalling some civilian organizations and Roma people. The economical status is very bad now in Hungary. The people uh, usually uh, think that the problem caused the Roma people. In Hungary, everything is perfect, but the Roma people, the very poor people, is very bad. And now the Fidesz government uh, organized in many parts the hate speech, yeah, hate, hate speech, speech hate peace, speech with the uh, with the communication way, and it, it is terrible. So, do you know from Brussels, we got many money to the Roma integration, but this money. Uh, it gets lost. Lost, lost in institution level. The corruption is very, very high. So it uh, uh, it is very bad now. But uh, many people know about the Real Pearl Foundation. So our communication is very hard. That's why many people support us. To third part from budget, budget we got from civic people and from firm now in Hungary. Philanthropist. Yes, yes. And it is very good. The Real Pearl Foundation has shown resilience in the face of adverse conditions. Indeed, its sense of mission comes across as extremely strong, as is often the case in social enterprise. From the beginning of the 2000s, and especially in the last decade, social enterprise has attracted a lot of attention and expectations. But we all know that what lies ahead are huge and complex societal challenges such as population growth, climate change and ecological crisis, and mounting inequalities that global capitalism fosters rather than attenuates. What is social enterprise capable of in the face of these challenges? Is it a diversion or a real driver of change? Yulia Arai pointed out that no stakeholder can solve such problems alone. Jacques de Fourny sees social enterprise as one type of localized collective response which is fundamental and complements other levels of action. We need at least uh, three levels, uh, types of initiatives. Macro-regulation is uh, needed 
maybe more than ever, as capitalism has become uh, stronger, uh, going going in many many fields. In face of this uh, worldwide capitalisms, there are many individual responses. Many people try, for example, to change their food uh, regime, the way they buy uh, energy, or the way they deal with waste, uh, and, and so on. Individual behaviors are quite important, but between the macro level, the world level, but also the EU level, and even the national level, and the individual initiatives, there is a wide uh, space where individuals get together and try to create collective responses at the local level. It's not just an ideology. People are actually taking initiatives a bit everywhere in the world, and uh, these initiatives combine clearly an entrepreneurial dynamics, uh, as people are taking risks, they are inventing social innovation, but also a social mission, a, a, aim, a name which is related to, to global challenges. The research project upon which this podcast is built is called Empowering the Next Generation of Social Enterprise Scholars. Before ending this episode, I would like to show you how the project is being true to its name. Scholars and social entrepreneurs find great value in the current conversation about social enterprise and its dissemination. Social enterprise theories are rooted in the United States, um, where the role of the market or role of the hero individuals is emphasized, or they are also rooted in Western Europe, where the role of uh, civil society or uh, welfare state reform is emphasized, or also rooted in uh, South America or, or Southern uh, Europe, uh, where the role of uh, the organizational capacity of the civil society is um, emphasized. In the context of uh, Central and uh, Eastern Europe, um, I had the feeling that these uh, theories are, are harder uh, to fit to our context where uh, uh, the state uh, oppressed uh, civil society during uh, state uh, socialism or where uh, uh, cooperative membership was compulsory or uh, as um, Central and Eastern Europe is uh, on the semi-periphery on uh, the global economy, there is a low purchasing power for social enterprises. The discussions that we uh, had uh, with other Central and Eastern European uh, scholars was uh, really uh, empowering in which I could also have the feeling uh, uh, that these meetings uh, provided us an important platform to raise our voices uh, as Central and Eastern European uh, social enterprise scholars. Practitioners feel better acknowledged if we propose to name their reality, their organization, as a social enterprise. In many countries, uh, leaders of organization that we now call social enterprise were seen as out of the real economy, a world of public subsidy, non-market economy, so not serious, not bringing really a new value added. Uh, what appears now is that uh, 
with the concept of social enterprise and all the analytical grids that we are developing, leaders feel better acknowledged as entrepreneurs, as uh, relevant from an economic point of view. Uh, I remember a speech I made uh, in Germany, and uh, the people told me, you are making us more noble. We feel encouraged. We, we are taken seriously by observers of all types and increasingly also by the public authorities and by the for-profit world. The Empower SE cost action will continue until 2021 and this podcast will have two more episodes. Use your podcast app to subscribe to the Empowering Social Enterprise Research Podcast and visit empowerse.eu to access everything about the project, including conference proceedings and papers, stakeholder briefs, videos and other results. Goodbye and thank you for listening. Thank you.